Hello and welcome to the commentary for lesson 337. This is 2 Kings chapter 6 and then just the first two verses of chapter 7. So I love the first part of this story, the floating axe head. I'm just going to read the first part of this reading. It says, One day the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, As you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River, where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. First of all, the group of prophets were a group of men who were loyal to Elisha. And they were probably not all prophets, but there were prophets among these men. Um, they lived, worked, and raised their families together. So Elisha, you know, if you think about it big picture, he is becoming very well known throughout Israel as a gifted prophet of God. And he had gained quite a following. So as the group became larger and larger, now they're too large for their current living situation, whatever that is. And so they wanted to build a new place by the Jordan River. <clears throat> but as they began cutting trees down, one of the men's axe head fell into the river. And I love that he was so conscientious because he was really concerned about it. Um, because he had borrowed the axe from someone, and of course he wanted to make sure that he was able to get it back to the owner. And so God performed a miracle through Elisha, and the axe had floated to the surface. I love that. I mean, obviously, that's only possible with God. We can see throughout Scripture that God doesn't have to obey the same laws of physics that we do. And he can change the molecular structure of anything to anything in any way he chooses. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. So I love also that someone asked him to come with them and that he did. Um, you know, he was famous. He was kind of a big deal. And here we see that he was humble and he was a man of the people. And for all we know, he probably helped them build the new place, too. Why wouldn't he? So, um, I love, though, the story, bigger picture, the fact that God performed this miracle to bring this axe head to the top of the water. It just goes to show that God cares even about the little things in our lives. And I want to read from Matthew chapter 6, verses 28 through 34. This goes along with that idea. It says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So again, that floating axe head, it was just a little thing, but it was important not just to the man who lost the axe head, but it was important to Elisha. Elisha is a man of God, and he asked God basically for a miracle, and God delivered. So I love that. Then we come to the next part of the story where Elisha traps the Arameans. 
And I want to point out, you know, that even though the king of Israel's name is not given, it is most likely Jehoram, right? I checked few a few commentaries on BibleHub.com, and that seems to be the consensus. So anyways, Elisha and Jehoram have a strained relationship, to say the least. And we know that Israel had many bad kings, one after the other after the other, who refused to follow God. But even so, God still helped them. And he gave them opportunities, plenty of them, to change their attitudes. And he still considered the people of Israel his special people. And remember, he had made promises to them, and God always keeps his promises. Elisha would warn the king whenever Aramean troops were planning to mobilize and attack. And he would instruct the king on when and where to move in order to avoid war. So the king of Aram is getting upset and he can't figure out what's going on. But every time he's tried to immobilize and attack, it's his plan has been thwarted. So he assumes that he must have a traitor in his ranks. And one of his officials says, it's not us. I swear, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Now, you got to wonder How did King Aram's official know that? Well, like I said before, Elisha had become pretty famous. And apparently even the other nations in the region were aware of his miracles. Word travels fast in the region when people are doing extraordinary things. And remember, back in chapter 5, verse 26, if you remember when Elisha told his assistant, Gehazi, remember when Gehazi ran after um, Naaman, who was offering to pay for um, a miracle that Elisha did, and Elisha wouldn't accept it. Well, Gehazi goes after him and, sly like a fox, asks for that money and then tries to hide it. So when he comes back to Elisha, remember, Elisha says, don't you realize that I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? So you can imagine that would have probably freaked Gehazi out. I mean, that would freak anybody out. So maybe word got out that Elijah knew what was spoken of in private. The officer could have believed in Elisha's God, or he could have just thought that Elisha used magic. But either way, he was aware that Elisha had the power to warn the king, and even that he could hear what was spoken in the most private places. So anyways, okay, so King Aram, the King of Aram, he's ticked off and he wants to go capture Elisha. And he gets word that Elisha is in Dothan. Now, just so you understand where all this is, um, Dothan is a small town. It's just north of Samaria. And Samaria, by the way, is the capital city in the northern kingdom of Israel. And then remember, just because I like to keep it all straight. Jerusalem is the capital city of the southern kingdom of Judah. Okay. So anyways, Elisha is in Dothan. And it's probably safe to assume that he would be in a more vulnerable position here. Verse 15 tells us that his servant got up early the next morning and went outside. There were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. So it seems like there were no city walls there to protect them. And... 
the servant cries out to Elisha, Oh, sir, what will we do now? So he's scared. He's worried. And Elisha replies, Don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And he's referring here to the army of the Lord with the horses and the chariots of fire. If you remember back not too long ago, Elisha got to see these chariots of fire come and take Elijah. So here he sees them again. And this also assures us that this vision is something Elisha sees and others do not. Because remember, we had talked about that. So verse verse 17 says, he prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around them was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Now, this whole opening the eyes thing, it's not uncommon in scripture. If that rings a bell with you, if it strikes a chord or sounds familiar, we have seen this before. And a story that sticks with me, just because it boggled my mind and amazed me so much, is the story of Hagar. Um, So remember back in Genesis 21, um, God opened Hagar's eyes. She had been sent away from Abraham and his people with her illegitimate son, Ishmael. And they were destitute and they were in the desert and she was desperate. And God opened her eyes so she could see a well of water when her son Ishmael was about to die of thirst in that desert. And Genesis 21, 19 says, Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. So there is something very profound about when Scripture says God opened their eyes. And it's more than just seeing something that you didn't see before and now you see it. It Things appeared that weren't there. So there's something to this. I'm not going to say that I totally understand it, but I, I get that it's it's a total God thing. Um, so then, as the Aramean army is advancing towards them, Elisha prays again, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. I love that. Elisha was very specific in his prayer. And God granted Elisha's request because Elisha was a righteous man. He was a prophet of God. And they had a relationship. James 5 verse 16 says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And obviously we see that. So now the whole army is blind and Elisha tells them they were in the wrong city and that they should follow him to where they really want to go. And so it's funny, right? I mean, so they follow him, which is just bizarre, and he delivers them into the heart of Samaria, which is a fortified town with an army that could have, you know, easily defeated them under the circumstances. And then Elisha asks God to give them their sight back as he has them in the heart of Samaria. So he was basically delivering the enemy of Israel to the king of Israel and they were at his mercy. Well, the king of Israel is so excited he can't even hardly stand it. 
So you can tell by his reaction in verse 21, he says, when the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, my father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? I mean, you can almost picture that, right? So now all of a sudden he's a huge fan of Elisha. So he's honoring him by saying my father. That's why he says that. Elisha responds, no, we're not going to kill them. Let's give them food and drink and then send them on home. Well, that must have just boggled the minds of the enemy, must have just totally confounded them because they were coming to capture Elisha. They were delivered into the heart of enemy territory. I mean, they were dead meat. And now they're given food and drink and sent home. Like, it doesn't make sense, right? So after that, the raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. So I don't know if they were spooked or if they were just bewildered but they decided not to come back. So I, I want to point to Romans 12, verse 21. It says, let us not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's certainly what Elisha did there. No one in their right minds would respond in that way. The only way you would have that kind of a response to that situation was through God. And that's what Christians can do. We can respond in ways that are highly unusual and go against human nature if we are responding in a way that God leads. So they had peace in the land for a while, but unfortunately it didn't last too long. And, you know, we don't know the time span for this situation, but eventually it says in verse 24, sometime later, however, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. And then it goes into detail just to kind of put it in perspective for you. So you have no doubt of just how horrible things have become. It points out a couple things, and that is, first of all, a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Ew, right? And and both of those would be food. So they're paying five pieces of silver for dove poop. And a donkey's head, it's just like, there's not much meat on there, but whatever little meat they can scavenge from that, that's just, it sounds disgusting, but they were starving. And then the sick and twisted story of the two women lets us know just how bad things have gotten. I mean, starvation, if you think about it, it would lead to craziness. So don't think, oh, these are terrible women. They are crazy because they're starving. And it just goes to show you, again, how bad the situation is. So when one of the women came to ask the king for help, his response tells us that he's in pretty dire straits as well. He's not separated from this famine. He's not above it. He doesn't have secret resources. He says he had no food food or wine to give her. And that's sad. I mean, that just, it's such a desperate situation. He's king, and yet he's totally unable to help his people. He was so upset by her story that he tore his clothes and dressed in burlap. And this was a sign, we know, of mourning or great despair. And the people could see that he was wearing burlap under his robe. So he probably was trying to hide it if he was wearing his robe over it, but the people could see that things were really bad. 
when even the king has given up, I mean, they had to feel like all hope was gone. So the king is really upset and he's in a rage now and he wants to kill Elisha. Remember, it was not too long ago when he was calling him father and he was a big fan of Elisha. Now he wants not just to kill him, he wants his head cut off. So Elisha knew, of course, because duh, he's a prophet. And when the king gets to his house with his guys, he yells, all this misery is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? See, he's not just mad at Elisha. He's mad at God. And I know if you're like me, when bad things happen to good people, I mean, that's the biggest test of your faith, isn't it? Have you ever felt that way? Yes, it can make us so angry. But when we have those moments, we need to hash it out with God. And we need to work towards trusting him again. Even, no, actually, especially through the hard stuff. But here, King Jehoram wants to kill the man of God. So, bad idea. His response is, uh... Less than stellar. Then in 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 1 through 2, Elisha's reply, listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, five quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver, and ten quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. I mean, God responds graciously. But the officer with the king said to the man of God, That couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. (laughs) Yeah. But Elisha replied, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. So that was not a good response from that official. And here's what my study Bible says about this. When Elisha prophesied God's deliverance, the the king's officer said it couldn't happen. His faith and hope were gone. But God's word came true anyway. And we will see that it does come true, and I'm not going to spoil it, but it's going to most likely be in our next lesson. So sometimes we become preoccupied with problems when we should be looking for opportunities. Instead of focusing on the negatives, we should develop an attitude of expectancy to say that God cannot rescue someone or that a situation is impossible demonstrates a lack of faith. And Jesus teaches us, in Matthew nineteen twenty six, that of course, with God, all things are possible. So that's a good place to stop. This lesson has gone long, but um, that was a good one. So that's really it for today. I hope you all have a great day and I will talk to you soon.